We have a few moments left in worship. We've been much at worship already. Take these moments in your word. Let it be clear. Hide the noises inside of us so that the voice of Jesus' spirit, we can hear him best of all. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I read an old book this summer, pulled it off my shelf, read it again. It's Charles Dickens' classic, A Tale of Two Cities, set between London and Paris during that awful, awful French Revolution. Look, I'm preaching to the choir now for sure because you read the book. I understand that. I even believe that you remember the first line, the opening words of Dickens' classic. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Let's put that on the screen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Somebody printed a t-shirt, probably an English major, I'm guessing, printed a t-shirt with these words on it. I wish you would make up your mind, Mr. Dickens. Was it the best of times or the worst of times? It could scarcely have been both. But as far as the French Revolution is concerned, it was both, the best and the worst. And as far as America is concerned right now, it is the best of times, it is the worst of times. And nobody knows what's coming next. Trying to scare me, do I? No. Just connecting with you to assure you we're looking, watching, listening, praying. But I want us to take a moment with you and explore that story of France. I want us to go back to France, the French Revolution. They called it the Red Terror. The key players in Dickens' book are trapped in the web between those two cities. Not just to relive France's story, but perhaps so that we might better know America's story and that we might pray for the ending that's coming, that it may not be what we think it could be. So let's start with the story of France. Back in the um, late 1700s, that's when the uh, French Revolution took place, they had three classes in society. They called them estates, all right? They had the first estate, that would be the clergy. They had the second estate, that would be the nobility. They had the third estate, that would be the bourgeoisie, and then on down to the peasants, and down to the very bottom of the rung. So I got a book in my library called Survey of European Civilization. Let's put a, a few words from that book on the screen here. The feudal feudal stratification of society into three classes back then had become unjust and illogical by the 18th century. So we're talking the late 1700s, all right? In France, a country with perhaps 25 million people back then, the clergy and nobility constituted less than 2% of the population. Yet they enjoyed the income from the richest lands of the kingdom, were exempted from the most onerous taxes, and occupied by right of rank the highest and best paid offices in the government, the army, and the church, end quote. You don't have to be a, a, an economist. You don't have to be a sociologist to understand that with that huge chasm between the haves and the have-nots, you are set up for social unrest, social unrest to beat the band. 
Because you have this, you have this, this bourgeoisie, that's the middle class. And then you go down from them to the, to the artisans and the servants and the peasants. And then you got the thieves and the vagabonds on the highway. To a man and woman, everybody despised that, that fiscal system. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking the poorest and you're placing on their shoulders the burden of taxation. You can't do that. Open your Bible with me to the book of James. James chapter 5, James, the stepbrother of Jesus, who wrote this little epistle right after the book of Hebrews. It's a little hard to find James if you're in a hurry. So it's right after the book of Hebrews. I want to go there. I want to just read a few words without comment to you. You got a bright mind. You wouldn't be here at Andrews University if you didn't. I want to think about these words. James chapter 5. I'll be in the New International Version. This is what I usually preach out of. Drop down to verse 3. Talking about speaking truth to power. James is absolutely unintimidated, and he does. Here we go. James chapter 5, verse 3. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Come on, where is it on the screen? In the last days. He's talking about life where he's at. But he's looking ahead. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, verse 4. The wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Lord Sabaoth, Lord of angel armies. Verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fat yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Wow. Wow has French Revolution written all over it. But to be fair, it is also America on the eve of who knows what anymore. The bold American writer Ellen White took these speaking truth to power words in James 5 and she says, listen up. Put her words on the screen here. The scriptures, James 5, describe the condition of the world just before. You see these two words? Just before. So we just read our picture. They describe the world just before Christ's second coming of the men who by robbery and extortion are amassing great riches, colossal fortunes. She describes it elsewhere in that same book. James the apostle pictures the greed and oppression that will prevail. This is a picture of what exists. What's that last word? This is a picture of what exists today on this planet, in this nation, just like France on the eve of the French Revolution, the Red Terror. Wow, nah, Dwight. <laughs> Give me a break. A little bit of hyperbole from you, I can see. It's not that way. Are you serious? It's not that way? Well, Rolling Stone magazine. Anybody heard of that magazine? Of course you have. Rolling Stone magazine this month produced a stunning, withering critique of our own nation, the U.S. of A., This month's copy on the screen right now in the 1950s. Marginal tax rates for the wealthy were 90%. Wow, they paid that much tax? They did. The salaries of CEOs back then were on average just 20 times that of their mid-management employees. Today, 
The base pay of those at the top is commonly 400 times that of their salaried staff, with many earning orders of magnitude more in stock options and perks. The elite 1% of Americans today control $30 trillion of assets, while the bottom half of America have more debt than assets. Keep reading. The three richest Americans have more money than the poorest 160 million of their countrymen. Keep reading. Fully a fifth of American households have zero or negative net worth, a figure that rises from 20% to 37% for black families. Keep reading. The median wealth of black households is a tenth that of whites. The vast majority of Americans, white, black, and brown, are two paychecks removed from bankruptcy. Keep reading. Though living in a nation that celebrates itself as the wealthiest in history, most Americans today live on a high wire with no safety net to brace a fall, end quote. Don't you tell me that the eve of the French Revolution is not what we're living with today. In America. What was it that took France down? It was that economic system with its obscene divide between the haves and the have-nots that incited the bottom of the society to band together and move to anarchy in the streets of the land. And they took down the clergy. They took down the throne. And they took down the nobility, stormed the Bastille, red terror. They did it through what the French called Madame la Guillotine, the guillotine. A tale of two cities is a story of people caught in the web of that tragic, tragic moment long ago. And we thought it was the story of France. And it feels like the story of America. 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 God shed his grace on thee. It's a sad song, isn't it? Crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Mercy. Question. Will what brought France down bring America down? Answer. Probably not. It'll be worse. And yet how pristine America's storied beginning was. We can find that beginning right here in the apocalypse. Our, our prophecy for today. Turn now to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13, middle of your book. Revelation chapter 13. Here it goes. Just one line. Revelation 13 verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb but it spoke like a dragon. <laughs> Welcome to the, the apocalyptic world of s scary and weird beasts. Daniel was full of them. Revelation is full of them. 
But those scary and weird beasts are apocalyptic symbols designed to cloak and hide except for the careful student of Holy Scripture. A nation, a kingdom, a power, an institution. So what's this earth beast, as we call it, because it came out of the earth? What is this kingdom? What is this nation? What is this power? Fortunately, there are enough clues embedded here for us to come to a conclusion. Let's just run a few clues by. Clue number one. We just read it. It sprang up. Well, it didn't read it that way, but anabino, which is the Greek word that John uses, is the same word Matthew uses when Jesus tells his parable of the sower, and he threw some seed down, and the, 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 the thistle sprang up overnight and just... That's the word. So whatever this power is, we don't know yet, but whatever this power is, it suddenly is on the stage of human history. Boom! It sprang up. Clue number two. And it sprang up from the earth. Now that's a key point. The earth. Because you see there are two beasts. There are two beasts here in Revelation 13. The, there's a first beast. And if you look at the first verse, we're going to have another study on this because America and this beast, they're tied. Uh, but this beast, ferocious and roaring, comes dripping out of the sea. It comes out of the water. The second beast comes out of the earth. And the angel comes to John in, in, in the Apocalypse, chapter 17, verse 5, and he says, Listen, John, I need to tell you what the water represents. So let's take a look. You don't even have to turn there. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits, we'll meet her next Sabbath, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. All right? So water represents the thoroughfared, multitude peopled, peopled crossroads of the world. The first beast, the sea beast, comes from the water. But the second beast comes not from the sea, but from the land. What's the land? It's the antithesis. It's the opposite of sea. So if the sea is people, people, people everywhere, the land would be no people. Where is everybody? No no thoroughfare of Europe. No, 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 no. It's just earth and wilderness and Yeah, that's where it comes from. So what do we know so far? Well, what we know is that there is this earth beast. It springs up into existence. Whoa. And then it springs up where everybody isn't. Not the people of Europe. Not in the crossroads of those years. Oh, there's a third clue. Let's put it on. Clue number three. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. That word then is an important word because when you see the word then, what do you know immediately? There's something before it. There has to be because there's some kind of sequence going on here. First there was the sea beast. Then there was the earth beast. Now we need to find out what's happening just before the word then. And if you go back to verse 9, this is uh, Revelation 13, just go back to verse 9. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Verse 10, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part, faithfulness on the part of God's people. So what's happened just before this earth beast springs into existence? Well, there was some power that was taking people into captivity, and suddenly that power is taken into captivity. There was some power that was wielding the sword and with blood flowing, eliminating opposition. And now that power is mortally wounded by the sword. So what's going on here? Scholars, Bible scholars, are quite agreed that the sea beast power 
is the power that ruled the crossroads, the peopled thoroughfares of the Western world back then of Europe. For over a millennium, that power during the dark and middle ages wielded crushing power. Here's the endurance of those who survived. Yeah. And that power suddenly, according to this that we just read, that power that decimated God's faithful who were willing at the price, the supreme price of their own lives to stand in the face of that power and say, I will not yield to your command. God bless them. That power got wounded. Wouldn't you know it, Napoleon Bonaparte, a product of the French Revolution, gave the orders to wound that power, only he didn't know he was wounding the power. He took the Pope captive. Scholars believe that at that time, Mm-hmm. At, the, at the end of the 1700s, 1798, in fact, is when the Pope was taken captive. At the end of the 1700s, then, not only did I see a sea beast, I now see an earth beast that sprang up out of nowhere at that time. So what do we know now? We know that it sprang up. We know that it came out of nowhere. It's a, de- it's a desolate land somewhere. Few people on it. We know... That it came into existence far from the thoroughfares, the crowded thoroughfares of Europe. And we know that it did it at the end of the 1700s. Come on, who is this? Well, there's one more clue. Let's find out. One more clue, number four. And it, this earth beast, had two horns like a lamb. Now, everybody knows that reads the Apocalypse that the Lamb is a hero, capital H, hero of Revelation. You know who the Lamb is. Of course you do. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That line appears three lines before what we are reading right now. The Lamb that was slain. Who is it? That's our King. That's King Jesus. That's the Savior of the human race. That's the Lamb. And isn't this amazing? Now, look, look, look. Let's put that back on the screen for a moment, please. I want to see number four on the screen. That this earth beast power looks like a Lamb. It has two horns like a lamb. It's young because only, only lammies have those horns. So it's a young lamb. It's a gentle lamb. It reflects the lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It, 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 it embraces the, Christ, the, the Judeo-Christian values. It embraces it. It looks like you could almost say it's a Christian nation. Wow, what's going on here? The apocalyptic classic, The Great Controversy. If you don't have that book in your library, go to Amazon.com, have it sent to you. In a couple days, you'll have it. That book is worth reading at this time in the journey of this planet. All right? The apocalyptic classic, Great Controversy. Let's go to that and uh, share a few lines from it. As the tidings spread through the countries of Europe of a land where every man might enjoy the fruit of his own labor and obey the convictions of his own conscience, thousands flocked to the shores of the... What are these two words here? The new world. What's the new world? Everybody knows what the new world is. And they were flocking by the thousands, leaving the old thoroughfares, the crowded thoroughfares of Europe behind. Where are they going? Let's keep reading here. The Bible in that 
earth beast land was held as the foundation of faith, the source of wisdom, and the charter of liberty. Oh, wow. Keep reading. Its principles were diligently taught in the home, in the school, and in the church, and its fruits were manifest in thrift, in intelligence, in purity, and temperance. Now, I kind of put the emphasis on this one. It was demonstrated by this earth beast land that the principles of the Bible are the surest safeguards of national greatness. You want to make America great again? There you go. That's it. That's how you do it. You go back to a book that once was the foundation. Our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution are not based on the Bible, but they've taken the Christian Judeo values and they've embraced that. Wow. Bible scholars agree that this earth beast nation power that sprang up in the late 1700s, far away from Europe with an openness to the great Judeo Christian principles of the Holy Scripture, many are agreed that only one power in history could possibly claim that identity. The United States of America. Hands down. God bless America. How's that go? I have to look at my notes to figure out. <laughs> Land that I love. Mm-hmm. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. Isn't that something? The song that loves to be, particularly post 9-11, the America's got Some people said this ought to be the new national anthem. It's all about God blessing America. Guess what he did? The writer of the great controversy in another place wrote this one line, and I want you to see it right here. The Lord has done more for the United States than for any other country upon which the sun shines. I understand to whom I'm speaking. I understand that there are people here from every nation on earth practically, certainly from every continent. I understand that, but the point is you're here. You're here for a reason. There was something here that you wanted. More than any other nation on the planet, God has poured out his blessings on the United States of America. Ah, not so quick. There is Jesus' divine principle of judgment that cannot be avoided. To whom much is given. What's that next line? Much will be required. You can't avoid it. And on the judgment day, God Almighty is going to call the nations of earth forward and He's going to say, America, come stand before me right now. I want to ask you, what did you do with all those gifts, more than any nation upon which the sun has shined? I blessed you. What have you done with what I gave you? And what shall we answer Him then? What shall we say? The wealth of the ages in American hands right now. Oh, wow. This is the breeding ground of the French Revolution all over again. Let me run them by you as bullet points now from Rolling Stone magazine this month. Here we go. Bullet number one, the elite 1% of Americans control $30 trillion of assets, while the bottom half of America have more debt than assets. Bullet number two, the three richest Americans have more money than the poorest 160 million of their countrymen. Bullet number three, fully a fifth 
of American households have zero or negative worth net worth, a figure that rises from 20% to 37% for black families. Bullet number four, the median wealth of black households is a tenth of that of whites. Bullet number five, the vast majority of Americans, white, black, brown, are two paychecks removed from bankruptcy. Though living in a nation that celebrates itself as the wealthiest in history, most Americans live on a high wire with no safety net to embrace the fall. May I ask you, how can God go on blessing this nation with numbers like these? You tell me. Don't you cluck your tongue and say, well, that's just the brakes, and I got the brakes. All the blessings he's poured out on this nation and they end up in a relatively few hands. You know what? That's a recipe for anger, anarchy, rebellion, and revolt. And now all the talk we are hearing about the iron fist of law and order will not heal the moral sickness of America. You cannot force healing. You cannot force America to be saved. We have been given much. And we who have now shut the rest of the world out and hoard our riches for our own pleasure and profit while inside our closed-off borders there are the poor, there are the needy who hunger just like France before the revolution. The haves keep having more and more until the downtrodden rise up and storm the Bastille. I'm just saying... You don't need to be a rocket scientist now. Watch. Listen. Pray. There's only one moral solution. There's another solution. It's political. I'll talk about that in a split second. But there is a moral solution. This is the one I would choose. And the moral solution is for this nation to turn back to the creator God that superintended its founding 250 years ago. Turn back. What do we, what do we have in the land today? What George McGreedy Price calls the anti-Genesis apostasy has turned our schools into godless institutions from kindergarten to graduate school. No more God, no more creator, no more tolerance of scripture. That was precisely the fruit of the French Revolution. No more God, no more creator, no more tolerance of scripture. And what's the result? In France, during the revolution, marriage was reduced to a civil covenant between anybody. What's the result in America today? A civil covenant between anybody. In France, the guillotine ran red with the slaughter of innocent lives. Why should atheism care? It doesn't care. Why not? In America, millions of innocent children before birth are snuffed out. Some after birth, tragically. Why should atheism care? It's just a growth. Get rid of it. What happens to a country when, like France, it embraces atheism is tragic to recall. That's where we are. 
No more God. No more Creator. No more tolerance of Scripture. Something has happened to the soul of America. And it is not good, friends. It is not good. I read John Meacham's book, The Soul of America, subtitled The Battle for Our Better Angels. Pulitzer Prize-winning historian that he is, he chronicles our struggle with the bad angels. Something has happened to America. And it is not good. Read it again. Verse 11, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. And it spoke like a dragon. That little conjunction there, and, represents 250 years. The earth beast is lamb-like for 250 years. And then, it's dragon-like. Dragon-like. The only solution for America, moral, spiritual solution, is for America to return to God. You can't just tell America to return to God. Here's what you do. You tell every Christian that loves Jesus to turn to their neighbors and begin to love on them like you have never loved on them before. America is running out of time. Do you understand? It's running out of time. You got people living next door to you. When's the last time you said boo to them? Tell America. That's the only way America can be saved. There's no fiat from Washington that will save America. Too late. But they can be loved back. They can be loved back. For the first time, be loved to the Lamb that died to free them. There are only two solutions. One is moral. The other one is political. Let this pandemic continue. Let the unrest in the streets of America grow. And the political solution already hinted at will be initiated. The iron boot of lethal enforcement. You will or else. Don't believe it can happen to America? Just keep reading. Verse 11 again, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. Verse 12, And it exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth, the entire planet. This must be a global superpower we're talking about. It made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Now drop down to verse 15. The second beast, that would be the earth beast, was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. You will or else. The iron boot of lethal power and enforcement. Don't think it can happen here? Watch. Listen. Are you listening? Pray. And then get on your neighbors. Love on your neighbors as you have never loved on them before. Oh, how Jesus loves America. Uh, if I be lifted up, Jesus said, I'll draw all people to me. 330 million of them? Are you kidding? I died for America. I died for North America. I died for this planet. I, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. How's he going to get lifted up in front of America? We go on television? No, we go next door. We, we can't let the media, we can't let social media do what we can 
only do the love of Christ with flesh on it. Doesn't matter the color of your flesh, just love on them. Doesn't matter the color of their flesh, just love on them. It's all we have left, folks. And the clock is running. America is running out of time. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crowned thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. That's America's last hope. God's grace through you right now. Let us pray. Oh God, forgive us for thinking this was only about a pandemic and all of us worrying about masks and COVID-19 and of course we're concerned. But it's just like the dragon to distract us in one corner so that what he's doing in the other corner can't be seen until it's too late. But you gave us this halogen light of this prophecy, and we are not unwarned, and we are not in the dark, for the light dwells with you. Oh God, shine your light on our minds so that our hearts determine to love on those around us while there is time. Please, God, save America. Amen.